Hi everyone, I'm Allie Stone and this is Discovering Hospitality. Now I've been in the hospitality industry for over 20 years. Serving in all capacities, I started out as a server to present day where I'm part owner of a multi-unit franchise in Northern Alberta called Original Joe's. My journey continues to the Inspired Leader, which I founded in 2020. Through this, I help leaders from all industries create meaningful careers. And I do this through the education I received from my many years as a senior level leader in hospitality. I truly believe if we could bring more hospitality to more industry around the world, it would be a better place. Of course, hospitality has given me a life rich with adventure, connection, let's not forget humor, and of course the challenges which I believe can be unique to the hospitality industry. So this podcast, it was created to highlight the incredible moments that exist in our industry. Behind the day-to-day -day of hospitality lies millions of stories, serving as evidence that this is one of the most complex, challenging, and ultimately fulfilling industries on the planet. And when you peek beneath the surface, it's revealed that this industry, despite those challenges, offers a unique glimpse into creativity, beauty, and ultimately the strength it takes to bring it all to life each and every day. So it's my purpose with this podcast to share the celebration of humanity that exists in hospitality. I want to share how this industry is one of the most incredible industries in the world and how hospitality creates a place for the world to become more connected and ultimately to become more beautiful. Thank you for joining me on this week's podcast and I truly hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another week of Discovering Hospitality. I'm your host, Allie Stone, and as always, I'm super excited to be here with you. Uh, summer is ending, fall is coming. And with that, I have an amazing guest today, <laughs> Sylvia Chevry. And I am so excited because she is the owner of Chartier, one of the partners, and uh, does an amazing job. If you haven't been to Chartier, you are missing out. And she is also on the board of In the Weeds, which we will talk about today. So welcome, Sylvia. I'm so excited to have you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I know the people who listen to this podcast, a lot of the people that at least I'm close with are big fans of what you do, and you'll share that with us. So um, yeah, I'm excited to get into it. I always like to kind of kick these off with just having you share a little bit about yourself, maybe um, what brought you to hospitality, what maybe brought you on this podcast, how, how we know each other a little bit, how we met maybe would be great. And then we'll go from there. How does that sound? That sounds awesome. It sounds like a long story, but I will do my best. You tell me if I'm being too long-winded because usually when people pass me the microphone, I could talk for hours and hours. Um, well, my my background is in marketing and advertising. Um, so that's what I went to post-secondary for. Um, but prior to that, I always worked in hospitality. My very first job was at Dairy Queen um, and through the ranks, slowly climbed up out of fast food service us and into um, casual restaurants. I worked at the airport forever, the Elephant and Castle, Earl's, O'Burns, like you name it. At any point in time, I was serving bartending or managing at two to three different locations. So it just was always, it was always something that I was interested in. It's something that came naturally. And I think that there's certain people that are 
meant to be in hospitality. So when you get that service job, it clicks and you know that you're exactly where you meant to be. I felt like I was the best version of myself when I was working in the hospitality industry. So it was always kind of the long game um, to maybe own my own business one day. That was always something that I was interested in. And I think combining that with hospitality made it a bit of a no-brainer. But um, I worked at an advertising agency for um, a few years, did a bit of freelance once I had my daughter. And then when she was about one year old, my husband and I started to talk really seriously about what direction we wanted to head and what we saw our life looking like. He was in a senior level position at Cactus Club at the time. So he had great job security. Um, I mean, it was a huge, it was like he was getting paid to go to university, learning how to open a restaurant on somebody else's dime with really dialed in process procedure, like chain restaurants can be, they're a gift for that training ground. Um, And the whole idea for opening our own restaurant came when we finally had a night to ourselves. My parents were watching our one-year-old daughter. And so we started heading to Beaumont, which is where we were, we lived on the outskirts. And as we got closer to town, I said, where are we going? Because at the time, Beaumont really only had a Boston pizza. That was before we had an OJ's or, you know, now we're getting a Japanese restaurant an Indian. It was like Boston pizza or Basil's pizza, or (laughs) there wasn't a lot to choose from. So we thought, well, we can't be the only ones that are looking for this. Beaumont is a young up and coming city. Um, Maybe we're crazy, but we think this might be the right place. So we actually ended up holding a Kickstarter campaign because we thought before we invest, you know, three quarters of a million dollars into a new restaurant build, let's test the waters and do a bit of market research. If people are willing to put money down for their experience before there's anything even there, there wasn't even a building there, then Mm -hmm. that's a pretty good sign that we're on the right track. So we did a 60 day Kickstarter campaign and we ended up raising about $108,000 from 558 people, which served as kind of our capital investment into our, our endeavor to open a rustic French Canadian restaurant right in the heart of my hometown, Beaumont. So it kind of just spun off from there. We had huge community support It was very evident that Beaumont was ready for more. They wanted more options. They wanted something to celebrate the past, um, but in a very present way. And we've now had our doors open for, it'll be seven years in March, which is totally mind-blowing to me. And and so our business, thank you. Thank you. I think the statistic is two thirds of restaurants fail in the first year. So even getting past year one, we're like, okay, this is it. Like we're in it for the long run. This is it. I don't know what the seven year stat is, but um, yeah, our, our business has kind of grown from there. We have a bakery um, added onto our restaurants. We've kind of expanded um, what we're offering um, and just having a great time doing it. I love that so much. Okay. I have a couple questions. I'm just going to back it up Mm. into like the early days and then we'll move forward. You were talking about hospitality and how you were working all these different jobs and and (laughs) leading in all these different places. 
I feel like everybody listening right now, like that's been in hospitality for a long time, will just put their hand up and be like, yeah, I totally did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm curious why you think that becomes the experience for hospitality minded people. I think for me personally, I wanted the experience. So I did a bunch of different things and tried, but um, we seem to work really, really hard <laughs> and a lot. And I'm just wondering what your perception is on that. Like, why did you do that? Why did you have all those jobs at the same time? Were you trying to pay for things or was it like you were just super into it? How did that happen for you? Um, I always, my, my work ethic was incredibly strong. My parents had a tree farm um, on an acreage. And from the time that I was 10 years old, I was out there picking rocks in the field, planting trees, picking weeds, like my, my mom and dad ingrained this work ethic in me that, um, I mean, I guess I can blame them for being a workaholic. That's (laughs) I'll send them therapy bills, but, uh, I think that's kind of where it started. And then as far as having like a wide breadth, I mean, there's so many people who are career hospitality folk that do move from place to place. It's not unusual to see 10 or 12 different locations on an experienced server's resume. And I really do think a part of it is um, there's a time and place for a different kind of restaurant at different points in your life. So what fit me when I was 25 is completely different than what fit me at 18 or what would fit me at 30. If you put me back working until 3 a.m. at O'Burns, now I would die. I would die. There's no way I couldn't handle the noise, the late nights. I'm in bed by nine o'clock. Like (laughs) your priorities and your values and what's important to you changes as you grow. And I think as a result, the types of, of hospitality places that you're working at reflects that. Agreed. Agreed. I think that that's a really good point. Um, it's interesting because in my early days, I really wanted to try, you know, the nightclub thing and it was fun. Right. And it was exciting. And you were going till four in the morning. I wouldn't even dream of staying up till four in the morning. (laughs) No, it gives me the (laughs) EBGBs. There's no way. But when I was, you know, 24, I remember often people would be like, well, doesn't it suck working every Friday and Saturday night? And I said, no, like I, I end up seeing the people that I would probably be going out with. And in spend a, instead of spending $200, I'm making $300. So then I would rationalize and say, I'm actually up $500 because I didn't lose the 200 <laughs> and I made 300 Um but that was my social time. And it felt good to me to be able to still have that interaction and engagement, but in a way that I was sober and making money instead of spending copious amounts on Jaeger bombs and being hung over the next day. I think it's interesting because our industry obviously has a dark side and we'll talk about a little bit about that today too, but Um, at least for me personally, that experience of working every Friday and Saturday night actually kept me away from the alcohol. It kept me away from like those nights out where everybody was partying. And again, it was my time to socialize, but I was the sober one. I was serving them. They were in the restaurant and it was just easier that way. Right. And I think I, you know, in those early years, I definitely always had like a beer or glass of wine after work or whatever, but yeah, I didn't have 10. (laughs) I would say that that's a product of where you chose to work because Mm -hmm. I also have seen that a lot of the times I, I have a specific person in mind, but 
they were encouraged to drink on shift because think about it like you're more social, you're more outgoing. It's easier to tolerate drunk people when you yourself are drunk. So it wasn't uncommon to see the ownership group passing drinks to their teammates. And by the end, they couldn't even do their cash out. And so I think that it really is location dependent and it's really, really important for especially young adults to really find safe places to work, not just where they're going to make the most money, because a lot of the times those two aren't tied together. Totally agree. Yeah. In my very, very early days when I was 18, I worked at a country Western bar. We'll say that. I know where you were. (laughs) I was working the draft night and same exactly what you're talking about. So 25 cent draft. (laughs) Oh my God. I know I'm totally aging myself. (laughs) All of the girls were so wasted by the end of the night. And I was pretty buzzed myself, but these girls were slamming and I had just started there. And so I didn't really like get it. Right. And I was nervous. I was like, I don't want to get wasted. I'm going to lose all my money and be a disaster. And so I had that paranoia about me and I didn't want to get drunk. But I remember, so I only worked there for two weeks and the second 25 cent draft night was the night I quit because I walked into the back at the end of the night to do my cash out. And there were four girls fighting each other and they were so drunk. And I was like looking around and it was just like, felt like it was normal to everybody else. And I was like, okay, cash out. I was like, I don't think I'm coming back here. So it's interesting, right? There's so many different experiences in the industry and I feel bad for those women at that time, because that's kind of like probably what they were, well, it is what they remember and might've affected their experience of hospitality, because I actually believe this industry is so incredibly beautiful uh, when it's presented to you in the right way. Right. A hundred percent. But when that is your benchmark of what's acceptable, um, I think that it breeds then those, if those people end up staying in the industry, why would they do differently? Like your, your bar of expectation is really set in the youngest years of, of your hospitality career. And if you aren't able to distinguish, I mean, you can learn just as much from poor leadership as you can from positive leadership. But if you don't, if you aren't able to recognize it as poor, um, it's cyclical and it just feeds the beast. And those, those people end up being the leaders that are pushing the drinks that are okay with people being too drunk to do their cash out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's yeah, you're totally right. It's like a downward spiral. I just see it as like this slide down. Right. And it just, it doesn't end well. Um, so that brings me to a question that I wanted to ask you was, well, what, what made you want to lead in this industry of these things that we're talking about, right? So this is kind of kind of crappy stuff we're talking about. Yeah. Um, what made you want to become a leader in the industry? What, what was sparking that interest for you? I think, well, first of all, I never really thought I, of myself that I would ever be a leader. Like, even though I wanted to own my own business, I feel like the leadership act, aspect of it is rather accidental. I remember talking with Darren at the beginning of our, of our endeavor. And I'd be like, well, I'm just going to do the marketing and I just, I'll be in the background and I'll like take care of the finances, but I don't know anything about leadership. So that's going to be your thing. So the, me being involved in leadership was definitely not intentional. It just kind of evolved and happened, but 
a big reason that we wanted to do it is that throughout our time in hospitality, we were able to recognize a lot of things that we liked and a lot of things that we felt were unsafe or not in the benefit to the team or the guest. And so we just wanted the opportunity to create a space that we felt we never had. Mm. And that was kind of the main point behind it. I can remember on one of my last shifts, I had worked at this bar for seven years. Um, the owner snapped his fingers at me and said, Hey, girly, can you get me another drink? Didn't even know my name after seven years. And I just thought, you know, I just know I will never, never do that. That was a lesson that get it knowing your people um, deeply was something that I really, really wanted making the choices, having the opportunity to try all the things that I always wondered, well, I wonder why they don't do this. There's been a lot of those experiments when I, when we've done them ourselves, I'm like, oh, that's why. Okay. They did. Okay. Yep. That checks out. There so, was a reason. <laughs> there was a reason, but in other moments it's been, oh, okay. Well that worked out. I'm glad that we tried it and explored and were curious. Yeah, I think that's one of the cool things about this industry is that it definitely keeps us curious and creative because no moment is like the next. I think I've I've done a few podcasts with um, hospitality people who have gone and worked at banks. And Sylvia, it's the same story every time they tell me it's like land of the walking dead <laughs> a bank because everybody's just like has to be very rigid, follows this pattern, shows up at the same time, sits at their till every day counts cash, whatever happens, but it's just so monotonous that they just fall into this pattern that it's just like drudgery. And so when hospitality people go work at the bank, they're like, <laughs> their minds are blown because they can't like, can't handle just how, you know, simplified that process becomes every day and how disconnected people come become when that happens. And so I think we're actually really lucky um, to have that because it keeps our minds sharp. It keeps us like engaging. It keeps us connecting and you were talking about knowing your people deeply. I think that that's so important. That's something I've always talked about. I'm wondering what that looks like for you. Like, as you said that, like, how do you do that? Why? I mean, obviously I know why. I think you've explained why, but like, how do you get to know your people on a level that's deeper than other restaurants? And how do you make those connections meaningful? It's a time investment, right? It, it is a hundred percent. It's just time. Over the pandemic, there was a time, you know, where I think I strayed from that time investment. And I thought the best value that I can bring to my team is by working on the business and expanding my skill set, doing more consultation for marketing and advertising, because we just had to have alternative revenue streams, right? That was the stability. We can't rely only on restaurants because COVID exposed the fact that it's just so volatile right? There's no, there's very little stability when poop hits the fan. So I I stepped away and started working on the business and I lost the time. I I forfeited the time. I didn't lose it. I I was conscious. I made the choice. Um, So I forfeited the time necessary to really know my people and it showed it after one year of that, of not taking the time and making the investment, we kind of hit this point where 
our culture and our people were not what we had come to know and not what we wanted. Like it just, it didn't feel, there was a weird vibe in the gym, I guess I'll say. Mm -hmm. And there were moments where I didn't even know, like I got to a point where I was like, okay, I, I don't know this person who I know the name, but I can't attach a face to it. And so thankfully I have a team that is my management team is, is very honest and very open with me. And they were able to kind of bring me back and identify that I'm needed there. And then serendipity kind of brought you and I together, which gave me a lot of confidence and direction of how I re-enter because there's no magic bullet for having deep relationships with people. It's the exact same way that you build deep relationships within the rest of your life. You're open, you share, you ask, you just take the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And minutes, I would say minutes are the most valuable non-renewable resource we have in this world. And so if you are willing to give somebody else your minutes, the gift of your minutes, your presence, your time, your connection, it's deeply meaningful to people, no matter what's going on. Even if they don't recognize it in that moment, they tend to recognize it later. Like, I mean, how many of us have had people in our lives that we look back and like, oh my gosh, that person's put so much time into me. I didn't recognize it at the time, but we always come back around to recognize the people who cared about us and supported us. And yeah, have really just like shown up for us in our lives. Right. And that's what keeps people engaged in the business. It's relationships, relationships with each other, relationships with management, relationships with their guests. You know, that's a solid connection. Of course, pay is important. And of course, working conditions are important. But the extra is the relationships that make you feel good coming to work. And, and I, I, I feel really good that we're back at a space where our team is vocalizing how happy they are coming to work and how they feel good coming to work. Doesn't that feel so good oh. <laughs> when you get back there? <laughs> Un- like indescribable. Yeah, it is indescribable. I will say it's part of the experience too, though. I think like we put this unrealistic expectation on ourselves if we expect perfection. And it's not like we just be like, oh, I know it's going to get bad. But I do think it's part of the human experience. It's part of the human condition that we 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 flow in and out of different periods and different ways of being in our lives and different understandings. And so we can, when we can be a little bit more compassionate with ourselves about that, yes, understand when we need a change, but also be compassionate with ourselves. Things can really like ramp up in our lives because we're open to the next level. We're open to the next possibility that exists for us. Right. And I think when our Yeah. And then our people see us. Right. And they're like, yeah, okay, you're a real human being. I trust you. And I think that uh, that's all people really want. Right. Somebody they can trust. And and a great way to establish that trust. One of one of Darren's friends um, uh, does a lot of work with with companies and, and kind of that culture building. And one thing that she identifies is that people aren't looking for a role model. They're looking for a whole model 
which Mm -hmm. is being okay, showing up, not just when things are perfect, not just when you're, you know, saving the day, but also showing them that you, how you get out of a negative position or a, or a failure or a misstep or a mistake. If they don't see you making mistakes, um, they assume that it's not okay to. Yeah. Yeah. And we so often think we need to like pick up the rug and scoop that under, but really actually just opening up and sharing what's going on with us as leaders is so incredibly powerful because we're going through just as much crap <laughs> as everybody else every day. Yeah. And we still are showing up and trying to figure out how to lead. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that's important. I think maybe that's a good place to segue into um, where I wanted to talk a little bit about mental health in the industry. Cause I know this is something you're passionate about. You probably haven't listened to all of these podcasts because there's a lot, there's like 90 now, but I've talked a lot about this on this podcast. So it's a very a relevant subject that comes up often, whether it's a, a, a server or a bartender talking about their mental health struggles, whether it's a leader talking about how they deal with their own mental health struggles and try to help their team. So we've had all kinds of conversations around this and it's been very impactful. And so um, I'd like to open it up to you, Sylvia, because I know you probably have a lot to say about it, but why is it important to you? Why is mental health in hospitality important to you? And what are you doing about it? Uh, I mean, mental health in general, is something that is incredibly important. It is the foundation of who we are. I don't believe that. I believe that when we have people on our team and when you hire somebody, you are hiring their whole self, right? Like people don't just leave as much as the old school business style management says, you know, you leave your baggage at home or, you know, you kind of clean slate it when you get to work. That is, I don't believe that is possible. And I don't believe that is healthy. And so the, the success of, of the business is directly tied to the success, I believe of the people within it. And so I mean, Darren and I, my husband and I, we've had our own issues with mental health over the years, um, issues with drug and alcohol abuse as well. And as as so many people know, drug and alcohol abuse, most of the time, if not all of the time, is a way to cope with mental illness, right? It's not a thing on its own. It's a outlet of a way to numb what we're feeling with with issues with mental health. So from the start, we knew that we wanted to create a safe place where people felt comfortable being who they are, not just in business, but in life. Talking about our emotions, we're okay with people calling in for a mental health day. You don't have to be physically sick to be unable to work. It is a very real thing to be mentally unwell and and not able to come to work. And that's equally as valid. Um, So it was actually right after the death of uh, the suicide of Anthony Bourdain that Chef Paul Schufelt from Workshop Eatery reached out and said, listen, like, I'm tired of just being kind of an uh, uh, inactive participant watching this stuff happen. Like, we see it within our own team. We see it, you know, suicide is a 
very common thing in our industry. Addiction is a very common thing. We can honor the people once they're gone, but what are we going to do to actually prevent this from happening? So we got together with a few other, um, a few other folks in industry, and we created a nonprofit organization called In the Weeds. And I think anybody in the hospitality industry will recognize that term. Um, in the weeds means you're like in the shit. Like things are <laughs> the chip printer is going off. It's hitting the ground. Um, your line cook just cut his finger on the slicer, and you're in the weeds. But the good thing about being in the weeds is that there's always, you always get out of it. You always figure it out and you come together to figure it out. You get out of the weeds as a team. So through that, we've done some fundraising and we've kind of had a twofold approach. Number one is to help provide tools and resources to leaders within hospitality because we believe they can affect the most change within the four walls of their business our employees often are very transient. You know, some people are in it for career service, but not a lot in our province are. And so it's hard to track the individual from one place to another. But if we're creating more leaders that are creating safe spaces, they can use the tools and tips and resources that we're giving them to make whoever happens to be in their space uh, healthier, and more comfortable with who they are and what's going on inside of them. The other side of it is actually providing free counseling services, three free counseling services to anyone who needs it. So we've we've partnered with a few different registered therapists and literally the only thing that someone needs to do if they want to access um, help is they go to the website, they click to book, and it links them directly with the people who can help them. They set up an appointment and they just say, I'm within the weeds. And that automatically covers them for three full sessions. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that we incorporated when the pandemic hit, because obviously our opportunity to meet and kind of do the teaching and seminars in person with leaders wasn't there. And we just wanted to kind of make sure that we had something for the crisis that we were all going through. So. It's that's kind of where we're at right now. We're excited to get back to actually working on the leadership side again and and helping guide and coach leaders into creating those safe spaces. Um, But our hope is to continue to provide access points for people in industry who probably don't have benefits, um, Mm -hmm. making sure that finances are never a barrier to them feeling better. Mm. It's interesting because it seems like so many people have such a hard time spending money on this. And I get it, right? Because it's like hard to see the result right away. But the long-term effect of it is so incredibly impactful in your life. I'll share a story with you. And I don't know if I've ever shared this with you. Um, but when I was young and when I when I first started leading to Williger, so I was about 24 years old, and I was really struggling to lead. I was struggling to figure out how to take care of people. I was acting in really selfish ways and I was really, really struggling. And so I had this holiday Monday where I super underscheduled and we just got crushed. Like we were in the weeds all day long. And like I was, and so in these early days at Original Joe's as a GM, you were serving and you were bartending and you were a body and it was like, it was intense. 
And so I'm serving and I'm serving this one woman and like her older son food takes forever. It takes me forever to get there. I know this is like the shittiest service experience and I'm just apologizing to her. There's like nothing you can do, right? I have nobody else trying to call people in. Anyway, she gets up at the end and she just rips me a new one. That was the worst experience I've ever had. Blah, blah, blah. I don't even know how you're a server. And in my mind, I'm like, I'm the general manager. (laughs) Like, oh my God, I don't even know what to say right now. And I remember it just like it, it, my confidence was so low and I went home that night and I cried and you know how these things go. And I was so upset. And then I was like, I sat there and I was like, why is my confidence so low? And so I really started to think about like what I was doing in my life and how I was showing up as a leader. And what I realized was that I was struggling with my own mental health issues. And that was why I couldn't lead. And so When I was younger, I was abused and I had definitely like worked through a lot of it, but it seemed like as I was moving into this phase where I was now working with younger people, younger women, having these experiences, I was really starting to get triggered a lot and have a lot of like, yeah, just really struggle with showing up in ways that I wanted to. And so I realized that I had to go work on myself to be able to be the leader that I wanted to be. And I always say that was the start. It was the start of a seven year journey for me, which was wild. If you would have told me that when it started, I would be like, oh, whatever, right? I'm going to go do a couple of sessions. And I don't want that to scare anybody off that's listening. You know, take those three sessions from in the weeds, because I'll yeah. tell you that if I had those at that time, that would have been game changing for me. There was numerous days as a general manager that I walked into work and I couldn't do it. I couldn't keep it together. My mental health was in a terrible place. And luckily I had one ally, uh, this young girl, and she would cover for me and she would help me out and she would let me go home. But there were many days I couldn't. And um, yeah, I just think we live in such a better world now that the ability for you to be able to do that for people that actually really it makes me a little bit emotional talking about it because those are really hard years for me. I'm so super happy with where I am now. Um, but that was hard, hard times for me. And there was no support, right? We couldn't, I couldn't even talk about it. Just the one girl I confided with. And that was it. For sure. Think about how stigmatized it was at that point, right? Like it, it was, it was a sign that you're broken, that there's something wrong, not you're human. And this is normal, which it totally a thousand percent is, but we often, Um, I use the analogy that if your car had the service light on, or if it was running on empty, if the empty light came on, you don't ignore that, right? You have no problem. If your brakes start to fail, you may not be able to afford it, but you friggin' find a way because it's, because that is your transportation. You can't do anything without it. So how we can say, well, if my car breaks, I'll figure out a way to spend on it. I'll, I'll figure it out. But if our head is not in a right place, if our head needs work, which I think is always, um, we we can't we won't our priorities are completely kind of mucked up with what's important and what's worth spending on. Um, but our any dollar that I've ever spent on mental health, even if the counselor or therapist wasn't the right fit is not a dollar that I regret spending because it helped me to some degree. 
You know, there's going to be therapists and counselors that are a great fit and you click with them right away and you're open and it just feels right. And there's some that, you know, you just, for whatever reason, that natural chemistry is not there, but you have to keep trying on shoes before you find the right fit and you have to keep plugging away at it, but you will never regret a dollar spent on mental health ever, ever, ever. Totally agree with you. Yeah. And I think that now, um, now that I'm in a different place, um, we can do so many things to improve our mental health too, even outside of counseling and, and, um, things that get a little bit intense. There's really amazing things we can do in our lives that start to alleviate some of that cortisol that's running through our body. Some of that pressure that we're having, some of that stress, if we can learn to be kinder and more compassionate to ourselves, it becomes easier to go and work on these things too, right? You're not so hard on yourself. You don't feel so broken and you feel like you deserve the opportunity to, to be who you were meant to be. Right? 100%. You're not starting in a deficit position. Totally. If you start trying to, to manage any sort of crisis or issue at work or problem that comes up and just starting off your day, your emotional wellness and your mental wellness is in a deficit position because of something that happened when you're not at work. I mean, that's, that's, there's going to be a huge difference in the way that you're able to move through that a thousand percent. And I think is, I think we talk about leaders for a minute too, like for me in that position, there was, I felt like there was so much pressure on me to do it and to do it well. And it was, it was my dream to GM. I wanted to GM a restaurant and then this all started happening. And, um, at that time it was, uh, original Joe's to Williger and it was struggling. It was like slow. And so I couldn't really get out of there. And anyway, it was just like this whole thing. And, um, I think I put so much pressure on myself at that time to figure it out, which I think was okay in the end, but it also, created a lot of turmoil for me, not only in my life as a leader and in the restaurant, but between my husband and I, and like, there was a lot of things that went on for me at that time that I look back and I think, I'm lucky I have a good husband. Oh (laughs) yeah. Right. And yeah. So, um, so it's really interesting and we're all going to have these journeys. Um, I think it's beautiful that we can sit here on a podcast and both share ours because I think it helps people when they're listening too, right. And going through these things. Yes. A thousand percent. What's your hope for the future of in the weeds? Where do you want to take it? Um, that's a really great question. I think it would be amazing if we were able to help people for longer, because I think, I mean, in, in the beginning, we really only were able to offer one session. We expanded that into three because you're just scratching the surface at that point, but having almost a mental health benefit program where, you know, the margins in the hospitality industry are just so minimal that it's really hard to provide adequate benefits to team members that truly deserve it and need it and could benefit from it. So if there were a way to create something that can help longer term benefiting both the business and the employee and really honing in on, on mental wellness year round. Um, that would be incredible. Mm, yeah, I, I would agree. This past year, we were able to secure a program, a benefit program. So we now offer a benefit program to every single team member 
Um, it's not subsidized it's all, at all. It's their responsibility, but it's only $35. I can't remember if it's a month or a paycheck, but it covers um, their dental. So they would get their teeth cleaned and it covers up to 12 sessions of mental health support a year, which that was the whole reason we wanted it. Um, and so many people have signed up for it, like so many people. So what a great it, opportunity. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, there's definitely there's definitely a need for it, right? People people want it. They want that support. So and they deserve it too. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% they do. Yeah. So I think that like um when it comes to these kinds of things and these kind of like steps forward, the monumental step that you and Paul and everybody else in um in the weeds took, I think that can't go unnoticed. And I don't think it goes unnoticed in hospitality, but I hope that doesn't go unnoticed in the world because I think that's so important um, that people are willing to take these steps. They're willing to see the gap in the world and they're willing to put a little compassion and a little contribution forward to try to make something happen because nothing happens without I don't know, what was the Margaret Mead quote? It's something like a group of caring, committed individuals are the only thing that's ever changed the world. And it's the only thing that ever will. And uh, you're you're a shining example of that, Sylvia. So that is very sure. kind of you to say. I would say as an organization right now with everything that's happened over the pandemic, it's definitely been hard to balance the need to put on our own oxygen mask before we're able to help others. And at any point over the past two years, I think at least one of us has been in a severe deficit position where it's been really hard to outreach and help. So I think we're often, as a group, we're very hard on ourselves. We don't often celebrate um, the good that is happening because we're so focused on what more we could be doing take that from an outside perspective and from what other people see a lot of people haven't um done anything yet or figured out what their thing is right and you have gone and you and your and your board at um in the weeds have gone ahead and done that and so the first steps are always the hardest and I'm sure you will figure it out we talk a lot about the battery too, right? And if you don't, if you don't figure out how to keep your own battery full, it's going to be really hard to keep other people's. And so I think that in general, the world understands that right now too, that that is something we're going through. And it's not like you're not offering support. You still are. So it's completely, I think 99% of it is self-induced. It's not coming from the outside. It is absolutely coming from the inside because how much we care and that I think in general if you own a restaurant you're an overachiever dreamer <laughs> otherwise why would you <laughs> so so I think that there's a few a few factors that play into why we we don't feel like we're doing enough um but I think that we really we're trying harder. We've recognized that and we're trying to celebrate the small wins um, in different ways. When we have people redeeming um, the opportunity, it's like that's a big celebration. We know that that's impactful and meaningful and so, so needed. So even if in a month we have two people that take us up on the offer, um, we're trying to learn that that's that's a win and that's great. And that's exactly why we're here. The thing about that too, is like those two people, I often think this as a leader too, like you don't, 
necessarily know the ripple effect of your action and you might never know. So you need to trust that your action of good in the world or making the world, trying to make the world a better place is, is with the right intent. And you just put it out into the world and you let that ripple effect go where it goes, but it could be doing things you have no idea <laughs> um, for those people that yeah, are changing their lives. So See, this is why you're a coach, Allie. Jeez Louise. <laughs> <laughs> I just see the good in what you're doing. So. <laughs> I think you see the good in everything that is, that happens around you, which is amazing. Wow. I uh, I definitely like to live glass half full. I often get this. I talk about this sometimes, but I often get like people are like, "Oh, you're so positive. Like, isn't it just too much?" And I'm like, "No, man, it's not. It's not." Um, I wake up every day and I choose. Right? I have my own shit going on at home. I have hard yeah. days. I have days where I'm like crawling out of bed and I'm like, I don't want to do this, but, um, it's, it's every day we get the opportunity to show up and we already talked about the minutes, but we only get so many minutes, right? What are you going to do with them? And so I try to ask myself that every day and I feel like it helps me live to my fullest. So yeah. Being intentional about being positive. Darren and I had this conversation the other day where we're like, do you think that people, are just born positive and stay positive their whole life? Or do you think that you have to actively, like everybody active who is positive? Like, you know how you see those people, like there's this one woman that comes into our restaurant all the time. She's actually the grandma of one of our employees. Um, She is literally the most positive human that I've ever seen in my entire life. She celebrates every minute of every day, she's just beaming with positivity. And so I said to Darren, what about Agnes? Like, do you think that she was born that way? Or do you think that she's choosing? I think that it's a choice. I think you have to choose. I think that there's so many factors in our world that it's not an accident. Mm -hmm. I would totally agree. agree It's a choice we make every day. Yeah. And Agnes, being a grandma you said she's a grandma she's had a few years to figure it out right and so now she's probably just like this is wonderful she (laughs) knows what's what oh my gosh like life goals is to be Agnes a hundred percent just gonna say we all need to learn to be more like Agnes (laughs) yes what would Agnes do (laughs) (laughs) I had a podcast um not too long ago, um, on the inspired leader one and the woman I was talking to said, what would love do? She said, she asked herself often, what would love do? And I thought, oh, that's really beautiful too. That's like a really nice way to kind of think about how you want to show up. How would the way I love show up right now? My love, how do I want to bring it into the world? So yeah, I think there's a really cool way to look at it, which I think this is perfect. Cause this ties me to where I wanted to go about people make the world beautiful because I think, um, it is about love. It is about care. It is about the connection and the relationship, like kind of where we started this conversation. Um, but people make the world beautiful is, have I told you the story of people make the world beautiful? I don't think so. I, don't know if I have. Okay. This is kind of a fun story. I have so- a very sh- poor short-term memory. So just jog me up, bring me up to speed, Mike. (laughs) Okay. Um, So people make the world beautiful started internally in our general manager meetings uh, inside original Joe's. We call them spew our meetings. It's spewing passion everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) That is a very graphic representation of passion. I really like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> so we would always start these off with stories, right? Like what happened in your week? How does it connect to the values in any way? Did you see people show up with honesty or whatever, right? And so this was how it kind of started. And then it morphed into this. People were coming with these stories that were like making us ball our eyes out. And we were like, holy, what? Like, how are you guys connecting to this? And then um, it was when we built the heart cart that we realized that it was all in the people and that people make the world beautiful. And so we started popping that up in the meeting and saying, bring us a people make the world beautiful story. And so it was all internal. It was all in the GM meetings. And then the GM started going back and sharing these stories with their teams because they were so impactful. Then they started posting them on their Facebook pages internally. And then they started posting them externally. So if you search the hashtag, people make the world beautiful, you will find hundreds of stories uh, or moments or experiences that people deem that have been touched by this organization that people make the world beautiful. Oh, I love and so that. And so now podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. And um, I've had, I, I think uh, selfishly, I just get so many good stories too. <laughs> so I love it. Um, so I wanted to offer you the opportunity to share a People Make the World Beautiful story today. Sylvia, is there one you'd like to share? Um, I, can I share two? The first one is my favorite moment in hospitality from an employer standpoint. And we had a, a young woman who was working for us and she had another job and something tumultuous happened at that job. And she was completely distraught and her family had gone away for the summer. So they weren't there right at that moment. And so she needed, she just felt completely devastated and she didn't know where to go. And so she came to work and she came in and asked to sit down with us so we could, she could talk about it and release and get help and get advice. And it just, our, our focus so much is about that when you join Chartier, you're not joining a team, you're joining a family. And it was the most tangible example of, okay, we did it. Like, her family wasn't there and she needed family. So she came to work and was able, we were able to help her get through at that point in time, what was probably the hardest thing that she's ever gotten through. And that just has stuck with me forever. Um, the guest stories are plentiful. We are very, Darren and I are emotional, um, sponges we just the heart stories are something that fuel us and and really make us feel good um I think the most touching one for me was a guest that wrote in and she had um miscarried and that she wanted to share that throughout the process of healing and, and feeling better that she very much was using food and our restaurant as her source of comfort. It was bringing her a consistency and a comfort that helped her through that process. And she just wanted to share the impact that us existing and, and comforting and welcoming her into our home, how that felt. And that was, that was game changing. We've had people who have tasted the tatiar and they cry at the table because it reminds them of being at their grandma's kitchen. We've had a gentleman whose mom worked at a plate factory, like a China plate factory in the UK. 
because we get all the mismatched china. And he turned the bottom over and it was from the company she worked at and she did quality control. And so he started crying. She had passed away and he said, my mom touched this plate and it's here right now on the food that I'm eating. Like, it's so, it's so weird. Like my mom is here. So that the, the connection of food to memories and what food can do for us, the comfort, the memories it can bring back, the celebration it can induce. I mean, it's just unreal. Beautiful moments. Abundance. I love it. You got me all welling up. I love it. It's so beautiful. I, um, it's yeah, the connection, the connection of food. It's so much more hospitality is so much more and in Joe's, we say them burgers and beers, right? It's about those moments. It's about understanding why your guest is there. And if they're there for one of their greatest moments or one of their hardest moments, it doesn't matter. They've entrusted you with that experience. And you now have the opportunity to create something beautiful for that person, to be a part of something beautiful together and have a human experience. And I just think, yeah, your story just totally highlights that. It's so amazing. (laughs) Every single interaction that we have, every table that we serve is a different opportunity to make the world a better place, reading them, knowing what they're doing. I mean, it's just the opportunity is incredible. We've had people, like you say, that have come after a wake, people that come in between a wedding, people who just lost their job and they need comfort, people who just got a promotion and want to celebrate with their friends. Like it's just these polar opposites of the emotional spectrum that people use hospitality for. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. And it's so cool. Yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's why I just think we're so lucky. And I think sometimes people look at hospitality and they're like, whoa, man, I would never do that. And I think if somebody goes through their entire life and doesn't spend at least a couple months in hospitality, you might have missed out on something because it's such an incredible experience when you can learn to connect to it. Yes. So like- the skill set that you get from reading the room, reading the table, oh. reading the guest and adjusting and catering to them as a person. I mean, what career path can't you take after doing that? You will use that in any single situation, personal, professional, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's life-changing. I always say it was my, my MBA. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, for sure. Literally my PhD. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I think you're. Yeah. P- it's safe to say you're well beyond PhD. What's after that? <laughs> yeah, it's been an incredible experience, and it, it's so funny because um, I don't think school would have ever given me a fraction. You know, it might have given me a quarter of what I learned over my years in hospitality. I don't think. I don't think the traditional education system could have given me, given me that. Um, yeah, those memories and those moments and those experiences, I don't think it would have been possible. So, and those soft skills. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your heart with me today. This was amazing. This was such a good conversation. Thank you for really. having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, I was really excited to do this podcast. I think as we wrap it up, um, I'm wondering if there are some final thoughts you'd like to leave with the listeners, the people who are listening to this podcast today and give them something to kind of leave with and ponder. You have some final thoughts? 
Well, I think the thing that I'm walking away with personally is um, just that, you know, when you were comparing moving to the banking industry, right? I think that there's so many times in hospitality that we assume that the grass is greener on the other side. How many times? I think there's been over a hundred times in my service career, we're like, that's it. I'm going to go work for a bank. Like I'm going to go do the most stable job. I just want to clock in, clock out. And instead of focusing on the gift that we have by having so much independence and so much creativity and so much unpredictability, that is actually such a great opportunity that you have no idea what the day will bring you. One day you might be sampling wine with a wine marketer and the next day you might be at the exact same time plunging the toilet. I think that that's exciting and I think that that's interesting and I think that the less that we focus on what we're not getting out of hospitality, we just accept that right? That's it. That's it is what it is. That's the industry. I accept you for what you are. But here are the things that I do get from you that I think I will be able to enjoy it. and My team will be able to enjoy it more wholeheartedly. I love that. Yeah, I think that's so perfect and so important. It's such an important thing to think about when we get to that breaking point and we feel like we want to jump ship. (laughs) it isn't always greener on the other side for sure I love that Sylvia thank you for being my guest I'm so grateful this has been amazing and it was great to hear more of your story too and uh, just learn a little bit more about you oh thank you so much for having me always so much fun talking to you well that's a wrap everyone another week of discovering hospitality and one more amazing guest on to share their beautiful stories Thank you so much to all of you, our listeners, for your continued support. The success of this podcast is totally because of all of you, and to that I owe my deepest gratitude. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend. And as always, don't forget to rate, leave a review, and subscribe to this podcast. I love hearing your feedback. And remember... The world is always made more beautiful by people like you. Don't ever forget it. Until next week, take care everyone, and we'll see you then.